embrace the alternative. This, this is Fab Radio International. Hello, listener. It's Sunday, or possibly any other time in the world, or time and space. It's time for The Bookworm on FabRadioInternational.com. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here for the short while wave. <laughs> we are available on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Mixcloud, and iTunes. You can go to StarburstMagazine.com to find our iTunes, and you should like, uh, like us, subscribe, and comment. Otherwise, we are Radio Bookworm on most forms of social media. Uh, our website for the radio station is fabradiointernational.com. They have social media as well. So, we are not here. Oh, Michael, we're not in the studio. Myself and producer Al isn't, and I'm assuming that Ninf is probably at home. I will be, yes. Very jealous. So, why aren't we here, Ed? Because we're at Nine Worlds. <laughs> now, here is a thing. You are listening to the show right now. We have recorded this part of the show a little while ago. You might be able to guess when. The rest of the show was recorded live at Nine Worlds on the Friday. We have no idea what to expect. <laughs> it sounds amazing. What we've done is we've turned around to the author books uh, people and we've said, um, if you're an author and you have a spare moment, Friday, Friday, 7pm I believe it is, come to our, come to our booth and we will, we've got a couple of microphones and some bits and pieces of kit that we've been able to get together um, because we, you know, we, we are an elite sponsored unit with high-tech equipment or possibly <coughs> just the kit that we could find yep. and we've grabbed a whole load of lovely authors and we've tried to do the book news um, that's the plan we weren't going to do any book reviews <laughs> um, so and Nymphie you're in Atlantis I believe I will be in Atlantis um, regular listeners will understand that Nymphie has to go to Atlantis every once in a while I to do. save the world yes twice a year should we explain what Nine Worlds is or are we doing that in the bit that we record when we're actually there no, let's explain it to them now, because I have... Again, we have no idea what's coming up, and we can only apologise. So it's a magical or history show. Or shall we explain that in the bit after this ad block that's coming up? Uh, actually, there's a whole bunch of adverts, because we're not going to be playing them at Nine Worlds, because we won't have time. Um, so And we don't have the entire production software with us. Also, if you're listening to us on iTunes or Mixcloud, you'd be like, what adverts? Because we're very kind to you and we get rid of them. But, um, shall we, we've never explained this before. I might as well explain it to you while I'm, while I'm trying to fill space. Essentially, to use all this lovely equipment that we use for FabRadioInternational.com, um, they have, we, we aren't sponsored by these adverts. Our equipment is, and the, the space that we use is. So we could do it in it, we could do the show in a shed with, like, a couple of dictaphones. But it wouldn't sound as, it wouldn't sound as nice. So, uh, FabRadio will let us use their equipment, but they're like, well, if you're going to play us live, which we do, then use the adverts. So if you listen to the live show, you get one or two adverts. They're kind of cool, and they're kind of interesting, and they're kind of alternative, because it's FabRadioInternational.com, and they embrace the alternative. Or in brack, depending. <laughs> so, some adverts. So, ladies and, so, ladies and gentlemen, um, if you were listening to the show live, 
uh, semi-live, then you'd have heard some lovely adverts. Uh, the five radio adverts are things like piercing places, burlesque training, uh, alternative independent markets, that sort of stuff, because we are actually quite an alternative radio station, which is why they give us the equipment and let us talk complete nonsense about books that you have never heard of, or at least we hope you've never heard of them. Otherwise, you know, we're wasting our time. So, so yes, hello. So, Nine Worlds, what is it? Um... Oh, Talking a, about the alternative. It's a geek fest. It's a geek fest. Yay. Geek fest. Well, how's that different from, I don't know, let's say for example, London Comic Con? Well, for a start, by calling it a geek fest, they don't actually have to say, you don't actually have to have people going, oh, all the comic books. Um, they do have a comic books track. It's mm. track based. Uh, it's very much traditional convention based. Uh, the, uh, the world cons are also track based. Um, but these are obviously and blatantly track-based. Now, what's track-based, you might be asking? What they do is they create lots of little mini-conventions. They have a residential conven- uh, set-up, so you have a big hotel. You have lots of rooms in that hotel. The, the organisers hire the entire thing out for themselves, um, and then people turn up and they, they, they join a track. So or more than one. Or more than one track. So, for example, if you're a massive Game of Thrones track... There's a Game of Thrones. Uh, Game of Thrones fans have their own track. I think it's called the Track of Ice and Fire. Uh, they've got a Song of Ice and Fire, um, and they've also got Game of Thrones with Titan Con. Um, there's also, I believe, a comic book one. Uh, there's one called All of the Books, which we'll be spending some time. Shall, with. shall I tell you what, what we've got? Uh, yes. We've got Song of Ice and Fire, Academia, All of the Books, Comics, Fandom, Cosplay, Beyond Hair and Makeup Effects, Cosplay UK, Props and Costuming, Creative Writing. Doctor Who, mm-hmm. uh, the evening entertainment, which somehow is its own thing. Not really sure about that. Fanfic, film festival, food geekery, future tech, Game of Thrones with TitanCon, geek feminism, the kids program, knitting. I'm very excited about the knitting. Seriously, uh, LARP, theatre style live action role play, LGBTQAI fandom, uh, podcasting. We'll come back and talk about that. Race and culture, retro fandom. Uh, with Redemption, Role Play and Storytelling, uh, Ships, Clocks and Stars with the Royal Observatory, uh, Skepticism, oh that's new, uh, Social Gaming with the Haberdashery Collective, Steampunk, um, Video Games Culture and Whedon. Whedon! Whedon! Now, those going to uh, Worldcon, which is the weekend afterwards, might notice that there's a similar format. This is a traditional con. It's set in a traditional con. They've just been fun with the tracks, essentially. Whereas, uh, whereas I think there's an academia con and there's a there's a games design con at Worldcon. It's all very grown up. Dynamics is a bit more anarchic and it's also a bit younger. I think it's only been going in two years rather than seventy two. So it'll be interesting to compare the two. Uh, we, myself, and producer Al. Yeah, very um, exciting. They, they wanted Nympha as well, but you're, know. you're, you're saving the world, uh, aren't you? I'm saving the world. Um, Someone's got to do it. Well, I, I had to explain this to the organisers. They were like, can we can we have Nympha? I was like, we'd, we'd love that Nympha would be along, but she, she's not. Oh, why she's not? She's saving the world. Oh, we understand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, just, just because we've just mentioned that within that there is a... Uh, live action role play panel and track and and a live action and creative writing i am actually at a live action role playing event called odyssey that runs twice a year during the summer and and my character continuously saves the world because you know that's what we do heroes on atlantis I believe none of it listener she actually goes back in time Shh. 
via a secret portal. It's all it's all the cover. And on it, but you're just blowing it now. Be quiet. <laughs> Be quiet. It's a live action role play event called Odyssey, um, run by Profound Decisions in the UK, and it's amazing. And if you've never laughed before, come and join us. If I say any more, will the drowned dead get me? They will. Uh, that will make. Only but but should we talk about what the very exciting things that we're doing at Nine Worlds? Oh, we are. We, so um, the show you're listening to now will have been podcasting as part of the podcasting track. Um, if you um, are listening, yes, you're listening to this on a Sunday, so you've probably missed us. Mm. But um, we'll have had uh, podcasting adventures. So but what if we you- met you, hello, hello. So what are you? Um, what are you doing, Al? Um I am doing two. Uh, on Friday, I'm doing finding your voice um, at ten o'clock in the morning, uh, which is all about podcasting uh, and how that works. And uh, Saturday, much later on in the day, uh, I am doing a thing about podficking, uh, which is all about um, podcasting fanfics. Um, oh, I am doing. I can't remember what I'm doing. How many are you doing? I'm doing two. Oh. Uh, I'm doing. I'm moderating for all of the books. Um, it's, a, it's a panel about villains and it's some wonderful, wonderful authors so I'm doing stuff for all of the books and I'm also on a podcasting t- um, panel about the challenges facing podcasters and getting you know getting this nonsense started sort of thing so I get to talk about the show at the end there's an awful lot of people from um, one or two bespoke podcasting outfits mm-hmm. in this one as well I so, believe there's some yeah. friends as well that we've met previously in the show. Um, R.A. Smith is doing some panels as well. Is that Long Con? R.A. Smith is at Long Con. Ah, Don't know if he's at Nine Worlds. Uh, R.A. Smith is at Long Con. Adrian Tchaikovsky is at both. Ah, um, awesome. Because a lot awesome. of the established British authors have done both. Yeah. Um, Juliet Mushinson is, is there. Uh, Jared Shurin is definitely there. He's part of the old books. Mm-hmm. Jenny Hill, who's a friend of the show, is Jennifer also there. Williams is there. Hey, uh, we we will shamelessly, shamelessly fangirl her, I suspect, um, and go. Uh, by the Juliet Mushins is there as well. By the by, yeah, yeah. By the by, if you've not read the comic Copper Promise, read the Copper Promise. So just you know, once you finish listening to the show. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so so you've, you're doing all the exciting things with all the exciting authors and, and people from the industry and loads of excited people will be there wanting to see the favourite authors and, and geek out on, on, on different tracks. See what I did there? Um, so yeah, it sounds amazing. I look forward to hearing what you come up with. And, and now an exciting 40 minutes of radio where literally anything could happen. Anything. And before we start, I'm very, very, very sorry. <laughs> so, we're at Nine Worlds. Um, hello, Past Ed. This is, this is current Ed. Um, say hello, Producer Al. Hello! And we have a guest. Introduce us yourself. Hi, I'm James Sims, and I write for Geek Syndicate. So, um, so what's Geek Syndicate? Geek Syndicate's a um, website set up by Barry Nugent, and uh, they basically we cover anything geek-wise, um, pretty much film, comics, um, hence us being here at Nine Worlds as well to cover it press-wise. So a lot, a lot like Starburst Magazine, but younger. Obviously, you should <laughs> buy a subscription to Starburst Magazine, and, and please give me a job. Um, <laughs> so, yes, so how are you finding Nine Worlds? Great second year. I came for the last year for the very first time as well for for the for its inaugural year. 
loved it then and um, looks like they've just built on it from last year to be honest uh, I was going to go um, I got married instead and that was much more important uh, it was great it was a great convention you, you should have been there uh, I had a bouncy castle uh, was it at the time of Nine Worlds then last year? Or? It, it was the week before, and we considered honeymooning at Nine Worlds. We seriously considered honeymooning at Nine Worlds. It's <laughs> and we're not talking about books, we're talking about personal lives. So that's gone horribly wrong already. Um, so, uh, how have you found this event? How uh, Don't say on the map. How have you found this event? How, uh, how is it compared to the last one? Um, it feels um, bigger than last year, which is good. As I say, last year came along and it was a nice, refreshing, new kind of uh, convention. And, uh, and it's been, been organised really well. It's, it's so friendly. Um, very, very welcoming coming along here. And, um, you know, everything... Hello. Hi. Hello. Uh, I should explain, by the way, that we are in a room in Nine Worlds at the moment. So what we've got is we've got a microphone set up. And various people who have been at the school thing are, are turning up at the door. With so, treats! With <gasps> treats. So, essentially, what we're trying to give you is this bizarre slice of what it is like to be at Nine Worlds. And to be honest, I think the word anarchic is because it is tightly organised. Yeah. But on the other hand, there is a sense of ongoing collapsing anarchy. Yeah, anything could go and happen, I think. Anything could, could pretty much... You know, as you say, walk through the door as we've got two lovely people who just mm-hmm. come in and joined us now. Um, so yeah, <laughs> and that there is so much happening that no two people's experiences are going to ever be exactly the same. So you're going to be able to ask people the next week or so, and everybody's going to tell you that they saw different stuff. Yeah, there is so much stuff going on. You could never hope to see it all. No, there's literally three or four things at exactly the same time, starting and finishing yeah. all at the same time, that you would just love to go and do. Yeah. And it's just trying to cherry-pick the best things yeah. and the things that really interest you. So I, I have a confession to make, actually. I am an awful human being in the sense that, uh, with at least one of, of the talks, I got there. I'm not going to name which one it was, but after about 20 minutes, it was like, actually this is not for me um, and there was no problem with me just walking out no one was being no one was you know no one was disappointed I, I walked out walked into another one um, it was in full floor the guy was in full floor and I had an amazing time and it wasn't an issue I didn't feel I didn't feel guilty about it because you know there's enough space and enough room I wasn't taking anyone to see I wasn't you know I wasn't ruining the experience for anyone I was just sitting there going, actually, there's so much to do, and I might be missing something else at school. The risk of that, of course, is that you might find yourself, you know, hopping and missing everything. But um, yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, I'm covering it from press-wise in in this respect, so I am trying to jump in and out of each sort of session. Um, but also as well, though, I mean, your excuse of last year of, of a week after wedding and stuff. Though, I've got a six-month-old son here with me this time, and uh, so whenever that he sort of starts up or anything, there, I'm having to literally grab him and jump and run out but as you, you're right though there is no problems with doing that at all with the tracks there and you can just go in and out and you're, you're fully welcome and no one sort of gives you any sort of funny stares or anything which is great I've been horribly rude and I haven't asked the people who've joined us to introduce themselves so if you don't mind of course hello my name is Alistair Stewart I'm the co-owner of Escape Artists Incorporated and host soon part of their weekly horror fiction podcast and co-host along with Norm Sherman and Mel Lafferty their science fiction podcast um, a skateboard. And I'm Marguerite Kenner. Um, 
Alex, your fiance, and I'm the editor and host of Cast of Wonders, which is a young adult fiction podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're listening to The Bookworm, uh, presented by Starburst Magazine on FabRadioInternational.com. And Brack the Alternative. Uh, I, I should explain. <laughs> I always explain this. Uh, it's, it's just showing us plugging time, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Oh, it, 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 it <laughs> Geek Syndicate again. That's <laughs> dot.co.uk. Um, and the Next Level podcast as well. Um. When, when, we, when we started, or when we started the actual show, um, the station started, what, what happened was there was a spelling mistake on the logo. So it should be Embrace the Alternative because we are a very alternative station. Unfortunately, it read in Brack the alternative, and we have a small penguin that we call in Brack, um, who is alternative. In uh, Brack, the alternative is not here today. You just come up a different alternative outfits. Uh, haven't yet. Bound before Embrack the alternative. <laughs> <laughs> Give us time. random because we're a book show and we talk about random penguin. Um, so, Alistair, tell, uh, Margaret, tell us about your nine months experience. Okay, um, I had, a, to, to borrow the internet meme, I had one job today, which was uh, to host the, the moderate, the realities podcasting panel earlier today, and it went really, really well. The reason for that is really twofold. Firstly, because we're a really, very enthusiastic and very engaged audience, and secondly, because podcasters are wonderful people who don't know how to be quiet, because you can't if you're podcasting. So I, I had a really easy job. I basically just threw buzzwords at um, the other people on the panel, and they talked and did some, and gave some really good advice and some really good feedback for an hour and fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. And we covered everything. I mean, there, there is a word, and I'm sure it's it's a, a word that, that strikes very into, into your heart as well, uh, which is audacity. Ah, yes. That face. That face <laughs> was made by five people simultaneously the moment that was said for the first time. Seriously. Um, we talked about Audacity crashes because Audacity isn't so much an audio recording program as an elaborate piece of social torture. Um, we talked about how to promote work. We talked about how to um, engage with an audience. The realities of, of burnout. I mean, Debbie Timmons, one of the, the people we had had on the panel, um, fantastic journalist, great writer, great podcaster, and she did four, 13, 14 episodes of a show, I think got to the end of it and freely admitted it was eating all her time and because she'd done it as bonus content for her blog the blog was starting to suffer so she shuttered the podcast focused back on the blog and everything picked straight back up I had a tough game doing this I mean with escape artists we've been doing it for I, I'm coming up on eight years um, running Superpod which is a little terrifying because that's more than I've spent in any real world job by a long way this might be a career now, and I'm really not sure how to feel about that. <laughs> I, I, I'm getting to the point where um, I, uh, I, I'm blessed, as uh, regular listeners, so I'm blessed with the ability to read very quickly. I don't speed read, I just read very quickly. I blame comic books. Um, I was reading comic, comic books as a child, <coughs> I read a lot of comic books, so I read very quickly, just generally. And if it's someone like Terry Pratchett, it's really easy because you know his style. Um, so, Unfortunately, what this means is publishers go, well, you write for Starburst magazine and you also have a book podcast, have some books! <laughs> uh, and you kind of you kind of self-sabotage because you go through this cycle where you, 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 you send emails back saying, we've done this and we've done this and we've done this, and then you stop because your brain has gone jam. Um, and then they don't hear from you for a while and they stop sending you books. 
and then suddenly you start reviewing books again and it starts thinking more books and then more books start appearing does your postman hate you too yes (laughs) (laughs) so how have you found your event it's been fantastic I'm not on any panels uh, this time around this is my first time at Nine Worlds so not at conventions in general so I've been very much just in the fan experience Um, I've been to a couple of panels today and I very much had a similar experience to you in that there were a few we just did not connect with quite quickly but we we tend to sit towards the door anyway so it's quite easy to sleep out and just find something else you want to do I'm I'm doing a cross stitch that I bought in the dealer's room just today because it helps keep me entertained as I go around and I've put together ribbons for I have lots of female friends who all like the Dragon Age video game we call ourselves Dragon Ladies when we talk about it on Twitter and I've made these little badges for us that we're going to get together tonight and have drinks and talk about Ferret I mean Dragon Age now I've I've seen quite a few of the ribbons on various people's badges Mm -hmm. well what is that about? Um, my experience with badge ribbons Ribbons on badges comes from the states where different organizations print them up as way of uh, identifying affinity with different groups. So some conventions, that's how you identify staff or guests. The ribbons will say staff or guest. Or, or organizations like, you know, this group of publishers have this color ribbon and things like that. Um, and that's where my experience came from and I just decided I was going to make them myself and give them out to people so I have a big bag of ribbons and sticky dots and gold letters and I've made them and handed them out to my friends who are going to come meet at the bar at some point over the weekend and talk about Dragon Age. I know you also are also wearing a Fox Spirit badge. Yes! So I take it you've uh, bumped into a lesser spotted Adele wearing? Uh, yes, Auntie Fox is a good friend of ours. Um, in fact, I was helping uh, give her a break earlier at the booth today. And Alistair's published through Fox Spirit. His pseudopotapes book is through them. And Adele is wonderful and very enthusiastic and uh, a great independent publisher of lots of funds. I, I should admit total bias. Uh, Fox Spirit are great. They are utterly fantastic. We've reviewed them before. And um, yeah, I've got a short story with them uh, coming oh, out in 2015. Nice. Um, so, but it, it, I, I was really pleased because you look at the names on Fox Spirit and it, it's got the Foxburg brand has that feeling of 1980s science fiction uh, world science fiction um, publishing you know that kind of that kind of small press um, but growing names mm-hmm. now you look at those na- names now it's Catman but Rambo and Mike Resnick and you're like blimey you know the, the, the names that have continued to be part of the genre yeah. mm-hmm. and also bigger names like George Martin are also on that list and it's, but it's for me, interestingly, it's the ongoing career writers that have started on there, and I get that vibe of Fox Spirit, which is why I was so keen to be involved. Um, so, yes, um, so, uh, um, I'm just slightly panicking because someone was like, Where are you? It's like, I'm podcasting. Uh, so, it's been completely anarchic. Um, what did you expect out of animals? This has been an, an interesting experience for me so far because I, I grew up on the Isle of Man, which is, for those of you listening in the UK, the thing the weatherman always stands in front of <laughs> on the forecast. Yep. And for everybody else, if you've seen Father Ted, you've seen my childhood. Um, and as a result of that, I always, I've always interacted with kind of mass culture at two removes. One of my uh, most formative experiences in school was listening to three friends of mine climb going to see a Metallica concert. The conversation went like this. Okay, so firstly, we need to get the boat to here. 
and then we'll hire a car and we'll drive there and we'll sleep on this guy's floor and we'll go to the concert and then we'll save up and we might be able to get the plane back but we have to get a train all the way over here. And this is what every form of cultural interaction that wasn't, I swear to you, status quo or the TT <laughs> was like on the Isle of Man. This is the reason why I, I watch so many movies because um, you, growing up somewhere like that you make your own fun. Uh, you either get into snowboarding or water skiing or you watch out the local video store and I did the latter and as a result conventions for me for the longest time have always been kind of Valhalla it's kind of been the, the place I, I think I'll go to the mainland and there will be more people like me <laughs> and they will understand me and, and I, if I die well in battle I will remain there and <laughs> the, the first one I, I went to was uh, believe 2009 Fantasy Con, which was 300 people who knew one another, getting drunk in the worst hotel in the world. <laughs> and amazingly, I, I came back, and this is this is kind of middle ground for me. Uh, I went to Gen Con in the States in 2012, which is 50,000 board gamers in the Indianapolis Convention Center, and it's extraordinary. At least 50. I think some yeah. years it gets up to 75, 80. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. And on the other end, there's Fantasy Con, which is now 450 people who all know one another getting drunk and going to the same panels. I'm deliberately running it down for comedic effect. There's actually some really fun stuff there. Because we're running the volume series. Yes, this is, you know. <laughs> and th- this, is, this is fascinating to me. I mean, it's one, one day in at nine days. Ed nailed it. This is anarchic. And the reason why it's anarchic is because this seems to conform to a theory of how fandom actually is that has been floating around for a little while because I mean you'll hear a lot of talk about the fandom community I don't think there is one I think there are thousands of small ones there are these little archipelagos of enthusiasm and you look at the sheer span of programming streams the podcasting stream the fanfic stream you know the the science one the, the geek feminism one all of them and they're all so incredibly rich and vibrant and enthusiastic and the crossover between them is surprisingly low it's the only place so far that I've ever been to where I can go from a panel on urban fantasy which is fantastic uh, Paul Canal showed off but that's what, that's his job <laughs> um, to a conversation about where's my robot butler which was about AI uh, so from urban fantasy to AI to God and Terry Pratchett books, yeah. to queer literature, and you just like, but the, 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 there's no line between all of those except I love all those things. And, but and, and I was at a thing this morning about longitude and and the historic search for longitude. How that came about? The original X game. Yeah, exactly. which I, I knew a little bit about. Um, that was in a room on the far side of the hotel. It's about two and a half years ago <laughs> to get to. Um, but there was, I don't know, a, a few dozen of us in there. You know, it was. Yeah. It was, it was I, th- I think you can't up. argue that it's not geeky. No, that's the thing, and, and that's what but this the, the embraces. In, yeah. But the interesting crossover with that is that it's connected with um, a, a sort of exhibition that's on the moment at mm. the Royal Observatory, which has got running on the side of it longitude punked, which has been contributed to by a lot of guys who are very well known in the steampunk community. Uh, and who we know because the world is very small. Fantastic, <laughs> Dr. Jeff. Is yes, Dr. Jeff. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, Steampunk, of course, is a book genre that we cover an awful lot. We do a lot of conversations uh, about punk, uh, our definition of punk, um, for, for new listeners and also for our guests. Uh, the book definition of punk 
is rebellion. As far as we're concerned, you stick punk on the end of anything that you want to say this is a rebellion of. So, for example, James Lovegrove writes God punk. Yes, he doesn't do urban fantasy, he writes God punk, which I, I, he does write urban fantasy. Clearly, it's urban fantasy. Um, but what he wants to do is he wants to parody lots of other genres of books. So, Age of Voodoo is a spy parody. Uh, it's a great spy parody, it's in the Caribbean island. There's, there's a really awkward sex scene, it's fantastic. How does that work and with... It? Oh, I'm sorry. It's kind of anti-bond. Sorry, you were saying. By your definition, punk is an, uh, an appendix you put onto a word that talks about rebellion from. How does that work with steampunk, though? Because with me, steampunk is a technology. Wouldn't it be more accurately described as Victorian punk? Because you're rebelling from the Victorian kind of mentality. It, it, they're using steam as the shorthand to describe um, that kind of Victorian technological process. Um, one of the best descriptions I've ever heard of steam, steampunk is wouldn't it be nice if the Victorians were nice oh, uh, okay. and because <coughs> I, I love the way that's I love this and it's entirely true steampunks once broke into a hotel room and tidied <laughs> <laughs> it, and I kind of love I mean I'm in London and this is based in London and I think it's most obvious in London that British culture is rude and we are quite rude in large populous areas, but we're also terribly polite to each other at the same time. We have oh, there was almost a riot at our hotel this morning about a queue at reception. Oh, dear me. Uh, and but we love a queue. Oh, we yeah, a queue. we do. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there was a whole, like, polite kind of, well, I think you're fine. And oh, that's yes. sort of politeness. And what steampunks are doing is they're rebelling by being really nice all the time. Uh, and... You know, saying "God save the Queen" and being really, and it's it's tongue in cheek and it's tongue in cheek politeness. On the other hand, a, a, a punk punk, seventies punk, was all about insulting people. And that's become the norm. You're expected to be rude. You're not expected to be terribly, terribly nice at the point that you have to cringe. Uh, I love that as a as a social movement. But uh, well, but what Emma was saying oh, on one of the first panels this morning, she'd interviewed Professor Elemental on her oh, show. Uh, she does tea in jeopardy and she's had Professor Elemental there and she said that the guy who is Professor Elemental is genuinely really nice and lovely as well as being really nice I, th- I think that's one of the sort of things though most people sort of think that Londoners are miserable boring and you know in, in that sort of sense and I think as you say that that's sort of how we come across we're quite argumentative now everything else there but actually in general it's just that actually people from London just don't talk to other people yeah. But if someone actually then will come up to you and actually talk to you, very rarely is anyone actually rude at all. I mean, I work in London as well, and and it is the fact there that you actually find that if a tourist comes up to you and actually asks something, or if you actually ask a tourist that comes to London, they will normally turn around and say, Londoners are the loveliest people ever, because we will help. We won't not help. Yeah, it's a cultural thing. It's a cultural thing. From an, as an American, when I look at English culture, it's incredibly polite, but a lot of that is we don't get the humour the humour and the snideness that comes in with the I think you'll find sort of <laughs> vocabulary. So people always, I always come across as being very forthright. And of course, people at that point always think that means I know what I'm doing. So I cannot know what I'm doing, walk into a room of English people and say, great, I'm going to do this. And everybody goes, yes, okay. Oh gosh, really? It's like someone's taking the lead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the comparative uh, fighting sp- styles, Spain <coughs> has developed long knives and scarves as a combat style. And, it's kind of, and that's also a very passionate way. 
and a passionate way of speaking. This is why we need an info where she goes mm. at me. However, in England, we've learned how to kill each other with pebbles. And it's that, <laughs> it's that sort of pebble knife fighting and the conversation where we desperately don't want to hurt each other, but we do want the other person to stop. And what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> good point. I've lost the plot. Moving um, along. <laughs> also, why do we sign up for that? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to sound a bit. Is yeah. that a panel? Can I go to Samuel Forwell is teaching the <laughs> uh, water dancing at 9 Yeah, it's dancing tomorrow, isn't it? Yes, yes. We're at the, we have 10 o'clock lessons on Saturday. Yep. That, that oh for the, the listeners is, um, is basically from Game of Thrones. Yeah. The, the um, can't think of his character's name. Samuel Forwell, I think it's real name. Thank you um, very much. Yes, yeah, and he's going to be teaching people how to. So sword fight. I can't wait. And water dance. Yeah, yeah. My, my wife um, forced me to buy tickets to do that one there, so uh, I've got to do the babysitting tomorrow morning for that one. So I would I would love to do it, but I'm horribly out of shape, and I used to fence when I was a younger man. So I would just be a reminder of, of how awful. Surely that would put you about ten steps ahead of everyone else. Though. You'd think so, would not. Pointed <laughs> <laughs> the rest of us. That'll be fantastic. Yeah. Are, you, are you not on a panel tomorrow morning? I am. Paul Pliny. Um, Jared Sheeran, who yeah. has been a guest on the show in the past, um, very early on in the show, actually, bless his heart, uh, semi volunteered me. I was kind of, I, I, I'll be free if you want me to do anything. And he's like, yes, do this. Um, it's villains. Oh, we're talking about uh, villains. Um, I will. I mean, we say tomorrow morning. It's at one thirty in the afternoon. It's one thirty. So, so, and by the time it's definitely not morning by definition. So, what panel are you on tomorrow? I'm on Blurred Lines, which is the um, what the one on the comic track about how to deal with it when your the character you love jumps the rails and goes in a direction that, that you really really dislike. Or the comic company. Or, or the comic companies. I suspect there's going to be a lot of discussion of DC tomorrow. Basically. Yeah, Dan Hart's on that, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, Dan, I, I, was on a, I was on a panel this morning with Dan, she said, dropping that in there subtly, and he was saying that he was like, oh, I listened to the, to the Robin Vick song, and I liked the melody, but then I listened to the lyrics, and I was a bit like, oh, and now I'm a bit worried about the panel title. Well, there's also, of course, Weird Al Yankovic's version of the song called, is it, Word Crimes? Word Crimes. Oh. Yeah. Um, he gets a small amount, and again, I'm probably going to talk nonsense. I apologise in advance. Blurred Lines, or sorry, not Blurred Lines, Word Crimes, he uses, he, he, he uses the thing about literally and figuratively. Yes. I've never met anyone who goes, I'm figuratively drowning in paperwork. Because that's not the joke. The joke is that you say, I'm literally drowning in paperwork. Because you're saying that there's so much paperwork that you're about to drown in something that you can't drown well, in. This almost kind of speaks to the thing Marguerite was discussing a moment ago about the cultural gap in humour. Mm. In that there is this rich, deeply surreal, very dark vein to... A certain, to, to certain kinds of, of humour and because I mean, I've, I've heard the literally thing used quite a lot on this side of the pond but not the other I wonder whether it kind of speaks to that uh, it might be it actually might be a consequence of the internet and a consequence of communications where because British people are going I'm literally drowning in paper, paperwork and when someone goes literally goes, yes I've built a raft out of sticks but again someone else is going oh, how are you it sounds terrible. What's happened is a paper factory exploded next to you. And it's that sort of. You know, it's a surrealist British sense of humour, that isn't yeah. it? I'm flipping through the programme right now because when I was reading it earlier, I remember seeing a reference 
or perhaps it was on the Twitter feed, to someone here at Nine Worlds collecting definitions of words ah, and she, the way people use them. Uh, yes, the, yes. The magazine actually ran an article on her. I've forgotten her name, even though I talked to her uh, recently. Catherine Sangster Sa- from Oxford Dictionaries. I would love to talk to her about this literal figurative and the fact that literal has two meanings now, and that is, you know... I, I talked to her on behalf of Starburst magazine when we ran a story about that particular thing. Apparently one of the things that if you work for Oxford Dictionaries, you actually spend your... One of the things you're encouraged to do is to go to a bar with a notepad and just listen. And they all do this thing where they just wander around and they just listen to language, language in the wild, and it's part of their job. Um, they About six years ago, they produced a book called Brave New Words, which is science fiction use of language. And it's a science fiction dictionary. Um, I hadn't heard of it until I, I, I immediately went on to Amazon and went to this. Um, not that we not that we <laughs> sorry your independent bookstore go to your independent bookstore and, and, and order it from there but uh, the retailers are available Catherine Sangster is uh, on the creative writing track with that um, yes help treat definitions propose meanings and get geek words and meanings in the dictionary I, I, I believe there's a bunch of black library fans who are intending to find her and wander around her and use the word feth a lot. No. Which apparently is a swear word. Um, yeah, but she was lovely. But that's their job. They essentially go out and hunt words. I love a word hunting spear, to be quite honest. Wait, can I ask a question real quick? I've heard the phrase black library before, but I'm not familiar with it. Um, the Would black you like me to? Yes, please, because right. I'll rant. <laughs> Um, Black Library is Games Workshop who produce Warhammer 40,000's fiction imprint and they produce having for a long time been sent their monthly shipments they produce six or seven novels various hardbacks, various paperbacks a couple of comics, a couple of CDs anthologies a month and they tell the story of the 4,000 plus years of history uh, that lead up to the Imperium in Warhammer 40,000 and also elements of the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay universe. And they've given... Thank you very much. Um, they've given an awful lot of authors who are quite genuinely very large now their start. People like Graham McNeil and Dan Hagnett and the magnificent Sarah Corkwell all got their start coming up through Black Library. It's, the snooty way of describing it would be licensed fan fiction. The accurate way to describe it would be if I was into that kind of thing I would be so poor and have so much of their books right now. as a massive fan of their stuff when they were going through the period of sending stuff out I was in heaven uh, the thing is they've stopped sending as much stuff out and they've also changed their, their focus um, and for reasons we can't really discuss on air because it gets a little bit sticky um, they have changed their focus it's all to do with the fact that Games Workshop is a business and their main business is selling police order. We met Ian Watson today. Ian Watson wrote the first Space Marine novel. Ooh. Uh, so what sessions or anything has anybody done that they've particularly enjoyed that may in any way have any sort of book relevance? I, we went to a signing earlier. Um, Jen Williams, the sequel to uh, Copper Promise, is I, I have the little... Oh, look at that happy the, face. The have, face you read, Ed is making have you read the little six page? 
Did you get to the, the last f- one and go, oh, oh, like yeah. I did? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that was fabulous. Jen's a friend, Jen's a dragon lady, so I had to bring her her badge and say hello. Um, I've, I've been following her editing process on Twitter. She's been sort of live tweeting her editing. Yeah, we, we, we were chatting just briefly about it. She says the second book was in, in true Bioware pattern, expanded the universe, but was much more difficult story-wise. And she says she's much happier now that she's moved on to the third book in the series. What I'm trying to do, and this is something Alistair and I kind of have uh, you know, as a side project, as podcasters, we work in short fiction. That's That's the genre we work in. And there are so many times where writers who do trilogies, because trilogies are the, are the model right now, <coughs> they have these little tangent short stories where there are little points that get made that the fans pick up on and go, I want to know about more about that character. And a lot of the times the authors as side projects or as ways to break the tedium of working on the big story will write short stories about these little characters. But they never get published. They disappear I want those stories as a podcaster. Those are the types of things, those are the gems I want to put in front of my audience as a way of introducing people to these big worlds. Because if you give me, I'll give you a perfect example. I bought the Rogues Anthology with George R.R. R. Martin because I wanted the Patrick Rothfuss short story. I am a huge Name of the Wind fan. And if you podcast that story and all your audience goes, that's a great story, I love that, you can go, well, look, funk. Here are the two first novels, and the third one's on the way. I think it's a fantastic lost marketing opportunity for novelists. They should take these short stories. They should encourage podcasts to use them and introduce more people in different media to their universes. I think there's a huge first for world building in general. The amount of people who, again, look at the George Orwell Martin's game, Someone Nice and Fire, and they look at all of that and they go, wow, there's a, there's a world out there. And they want to know more about the world, um, Dan Patrick did this really cruel trick where he brought out three books uh, called the Dwarf Warfighter Manual, the Elf Warfighter yeah. Manual, and the Other Fantasy Raid, the Orc Warfighter Manual. Then he didn't write any books set in that world, and I, I was I, I was just sitting there going, I want to read about this world because now I know why the elves hate the orcs, why the orcs get on with the dwarves, and it's all standard fantasy. But I think, <coughs> I mean, this is a a role-playing gaming thing and a gaming thing rather than a, anything else. I think that's something that there is a demand for. I think people want worlds. and They want the little short stories building up and building up their world. They actually want to see the maps, which is an amazing thing because, you know, the thing that people used to complain about with fantasy is the maps. They want to see the maps. They want to see the geography. They want to know the world itself mm-hmm. and also read the stories. On a related note to that, um, there's a comic writer called Anthony Johnston Anthony does fantastic work. Three, three series: uh, Wasteland, which is just coming into land, which is a post-apocalyptic one; The Fuse, which is homicide detectives in the world's first orbiting city, and therefore is made entirely from my brain; uh, and Umbral, which is an incredibly well thought out, well realised, very earthy, almost kind of Terry Gilliam-esque fantasy book. And Anthony had exactly that, where um, he's used the fact there is a map in the front of Umbral as a marketing tool. Because he has friends and colleagues who've gone, I cannot stand fantasy novels with comics and maps in them. And he's got other, and these little other, other novel readers go, You got a map? And I think they're now at the point where they're, thinking, they're talking about releasing the map as a print because he's been very upfront about, You want an idea of where we're going? You look at the map because mm-hmm. there's clues encoded into it. Well, it's more than that. Maps become 
visual ways of interacting with non-physical worlds. I mean, look at the sheer amount of creative art that goes into not just maps themselves, but the uses of maps. I love them. I collect compass roses. They're one of my favorite aspects of a map. Um, video games have started releasing them as special edition physical items that you can buy. Artists will turn them into scarves and wall hangings and clothing. I mean, maps are a visual way of interacting with these worlds. And it's your, your point earlier about how that used to be the argument. Why do I need a map in order to keep track of your universe? It's the first thing I look for when I open a book. It's, okay, cool. Let me take a look at the world. Now you may tell me your story. One of the things I saw recently um, is... The, the Dreamlands of Unknown Kadaf is yes. an HP Lovecraft short story, and I believe it's called John Thompson. I might have the first name wrong, surname Stephanie Thompson. Drew a map of it, of the Unknown Kadaf, of the Dreamlands. It's this huge thing, and rather than being, because how do you map a place called the Dreamlands? How do you map a series of interconnected ideas? How on earth does that work? It is a huge visual retelling of that story. Um, and it's amazing, and I can't. I, I refuse to actually have it on the wall because it would bend my mind. <laughs> uh, I Sand check. Every once in a while, I'd go completely insane. I just remembered my thing about that library that I can talk about. Grace is hilarious. Okay, so uh, long con is next week, uh-huh. uh, and as you may or may not know, there uh, one of the things that's up there is the Wheel of Time series, because the Wheel of Time series, because it finished on that point is a continuing series and multiple contributors are allowed on that series that's three and a half million words Black Library producing The Horus Heresy which is planned to go for 50 to 60 books audio dramas comic books when it finishes it's eligible for the Hugo Awards that's brilliant (laughs) I I can hear the preemptive angry blog posts being written now even even more hilarious, of course, is that there is a tradition of giving away the entire work to attendees. Yes. Um, and there's a company that is notorious for not even giving you a cup of tea for free. That would be very interesting indeed if it actually got nominated. <laughs> Obviously, it would be incredibly naughty, and I'm not saying that anyone should do it. Uh, you know. So how exactly does somebody nominate something for Hugo Awards? For no reason at all, just curious. Yeah. yeah. Is, where is it then? Or? You have to be an eligible member, so you have to be attending the event. So preferably, when the series finishes, it has to be in the UK. Or possibly, or possibly. Ireland, uh, <laughs> which is, would be 2019 if oh it finishes dear. by then. Or possibly France. Yeah, which would be 20, 2023. 2023. That's if these things happen. So, yes. So, that's planning ahead, maybe. But still. <laughs> very, very naughty indeed. Are we, are we running out of time? But, but okay, at the moment, we've got about five minutes left. Oh, blimey. Um, so, so, anyway, we should do some good news. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to just down um, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what else I what I've had in a, a session I've been at today um, was interesting methods of funding books and funding works. Uh, I went to a panel about um, how to run a successful crowd funding campaign, and there was a chap there called Alan Stroud um, who was going to be maybe joining us, but has not quite turned up. I feel. Um, and he was talking about this um, elite video game that came back on a Kickstarter, and one of their pledge levels was you got an official license 
to the Greeks to work a dangerous. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, very strange monetary policy that they did on that one there. You had yeah. to pay an absolute fortune to get onto an alpha build, whereas you're basically becoming a tester for this company to test their computer game with, with a totally uncompleted game which could potentially break at any time. Yeah. However, saying that though, I have seen the game and it does look very, very impressive. I, I finished the Unspent Tenet and I'm waiting for the finished game. Um, and I did send a note saying, is this game out yet? Because a lot of people are talking about it and they're like, no, you need to pay for beta testing. And I'm like, no, I'm not paying for that. It was yeah. something like about £200 for the alpha yeah. testing. For, for a game which should, theoretically should cost you £35 for a PC at the end of the day. But um, the but Dangerous Books look fantastic. Size Spoon is doing that. You could get a license for for me at £4,570. <laughs> <laughs> deeply, deeply weird thing about that is someone else ran a Kickstarter to raise the money to pledge on that Kickstarter. At least three of them <laughs> at least At least three of them are successful. Seven licenses were bought altogether. Five of them are books. They're already out now in ebook format. They're being released in physical format over the next month or so. Um, I don't know what else you get for, for the ones that have gone over, um, but two of them are today talking about that and how that worked. Um, it was very interesting. But the, and the other two um, of the seven are um, a book where they are crowdsourcing the content. Oh. So if you pledged for that particular one uh, to get the license, then if you pledged, you can contribute content. It's voted on by the other people who are part of the overall pledge, and the best content gets into the actual oh book. God, it's booked by Reddit. Yeah. The, oh. the, the, the seventh license is an RPG. But strangely, Golans also has those licenses. Mm. So the thing with Elite Dangerous is, I'm going to buy the Size Spurrier one, because I like the works of Size Spurrier, and then that's, that's my £15 spent. I'm probably going to buy one from an author I recognise and I'm not likely to buy the rest of them unless I see really good reviews or unless someone gives gives it to me a review um, which may or may not happen uh, but it's, it's just a very interesting way to generate a book because it's sort of it's not quite self-publishing it's sort of buying the rights to be able to eventually self-publish but you'll get support for it from the people who own the actual IP very wishy-washy, I but, think, sort of thing. It really but, is. Uh, but the sums of money that were being sought by in that room were crazy. It's worked. And, yeah. and for them, it really did work. And they sort of broke the sort of... Uh, you have to wonder how much of that was novelty, though. Just getting in on the ground floor of what could have been a new model. And you'll have to wait and see about how it actually shapes down to realise whether or not those people felt they got their money's worth. Yeah, absolutely. The implications are interesting because there are also people out there who have licenses and have no idea what to do with them um, not naming names and naming no Fleetway Publishing at all they have a number of different licenses that they haven't developed and some of them they are slowly developing but they seem very cautious because they only have a limited number of them um, the people who own the rights to but Rogers are in a very similar situation where they're doing reprints but I can imagine them turning around and saying the license is open and the crowdfunding it that way. It'd be fascinating to see how that works mm -hmm. if it does indeed work. But also, I'd love to see more book purchase. But just say, we are almost gone. So I think, actually, shall we? Oh, so everyone, tell us all about yourselves and tell, tell us about why uh, your podcasts as well. Come on. 
I, like I say, I host Pseudopod, which is a weekly horror fiction podcast. It's a 1 to 20 to 40 minute short story every week. I also co-host Escapepod, which does the same thing for science fiction. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Alistair Stewart, which sounds like a Mr. Word, but that's really it. It's at Alistair Stewart. It's my name. Uh, and my blog is alistairstewart.com. Okay. Um, I'm Marguerite Kenner. I run Cast of Wonders, which is a young adult uh, audio fiction podcast, uh, castofwonders.org. We're up for two parsecs this year, both the long form, with which was this fantastic project called Camp Myth. It is a serialized 16-chapter novella, which is supernatural summer camp. So it's where centaurs and mermaids go for summer camp when they're kids. We're also up for the best podcast this year, which I'm not ready to face since I've only been the editor and post for 18 months now. I'm on Twitter as at Legal Valkyrie because I'm a attorney solicitor. Um, and you can just look for the picture of She-Hulk. Why She-Hulk? Because Jennifer Walters is a lawyer. That's why. And I'm uh, James Sims. I, I'm a writer and contributor for Geek Syndicate. Um, we have a number of podcasts, um, the main one being uh, Geek Syndicate podcast, which uh, Barry, who's been running the podcast sessions here, has, has actually uh, deals with. Um, I also um, have been involved a few times on the, the Next Level podcast, which is a gaming podcast, uh, where we talk about everything about gaming, hence knowing a bit about Elite Dangerous. And, uh, but my Twitter is at JMS1701, and our official one for the, the website is at Geek Syndicate. And I think with that, we're going to go back to the studio. So, um, hello, Past Ed. It went much better than you expected. Across the world, 24 hours a day. This is Family International. I have no idea what the future me has just said to past me, but I'm assuming it's not a warning or dire threat. Um, <laughs> fingers, That's what you think. Fingers crossed. So we're back in the studio and we have to leave. So um, again, uh, I hope you had fun with that. We have no idea what went on there. But let's assume we had fun. <laughs> but let's assume that we had fun. Uh, Ninford, do you want to say anything? You could say critical. I, I think a thank you to the organisers of Nine Worlds um, for, I'm sure, an amazing event um, that that's coming up or has been. And thanks for inviting us. Yeah. Thanks for inviting us. Hopefully next year we'll, I'll be able to make it, so I'll have some fun as well and meet some incredible people. Um, so yes, future Adenand in the past. Uh, and, and, and somewhere else but here say goodbye bye The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes produced by A.L. Johnson Bye.